0: amen amen Uh, i want to encourage you if you're not aware we're excited again to be uh giving bulletins out and and so if you are remember we we provide an opportunity inside your bulletin for sermon notes and so just some different ways to think through as you interact with the message and so i want to encourage you if you haven't uh to check that out there in the bulletin and it's just a great way again to follow along the sermon and keep up with things and so i want to encourage that uh, man walked in this morning it's like let there be light amen man it's awesome we're thankful for those who've been working to help bring some light in this room and and especially if you've been with us at nighttime it's extremely difficult at times in here to see your bible and other things so we're excited by that thankful for those who are working always behind the scenes to help us and so excited looking forward to Oklahoma um I know you saw a large group here that, that the reality is that's not all I think we're close to what 40 Miss Karen is that is that 35 and so it's a it's a large group and um and so that's going to be impacting ministries in many ways and so i want to remind you of that um next week uh listen sunday morning we're gonna need more hands on deck so you may need to be in an area of service you're not normally in um, helping whether Sunday school class, helping with feeding, different things. So there's people that are involved in different areas of ministry, and they're going to be gone um, next Wednesday night. So not this Wednesday, but the next, we won't have service because our buses will be rolling out and ministering there. So again, different areas of church are impacted as we go out on mission intentionally, and so we're excited about that. But things look a little different, so we want to encourage you to be here, be a part, um, and hold up the fort right as we are out away. So we're excited about that. So. This morning, we're going to continue again our time in Matthew. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, i encourage you to turn to the 23rd chapter of Matthew as we hear this idea of seven woes to the Pharisees, and I hope and pray you'll realize it's to us as well. Uh, this Thursday, this past week, it has been seven years since my dad had passed, and so Just spending some time and reflection on that about my dad and man, I thought about different ways I'd become like him, different times I would say or do something. Emily's like, Man, that was so much like your dad or that sounded like your dad, something he would do or say and but there's also the inevitable that we at times come like our parents, don't we? I remember as a kid growing up thinking, when I'm a when I'm a dad, I guarantee you I will not get on my kids when we wash the car. And guess what happens when we wash the car? I'm like, dude, don't let the soap dry. The same things my dad said to me, or I'm starting now with one, trying to help mow and weed eat a little bit. And I'm like, man, keep your line straight. The very things that I thought I wouldn't do, I found myself doing, right? Some things in life are just inevitable that we become like our parents, Well, what's my point? Well, I think the truth is, as we come to the 23rd chapter of Matthew and we encounter the Pharisees, is that my guess is they didn't wake up someday and just think all along like, hey, you know what, guys? You know what would be great for us? Let's be outwardly religious but inwardly dead. Like, I don't think that was like what the Pharisees thought. That wasn't their approach. They were going to wake up one day and that's who they were going to be. The truth is, though, the Pharisees have been impacted by their background. And so you need to understand a little bit about the Pharisees and how their impact, how their background had impacted their lives. For the, about the last 500 years, right? So back to like 580 BC and during this time, you've seen people come into Jerusalem and conquer them. You saw the Babylonians and soon after that you saw the Persians and then Alexander the Great and the Greeks come on the scene and they're conquering and the last person to show up now is the Romans, right? And the Romans have shown up and ruled. And so the Pharisees are this group of people that say, you know what guys? When we look through the Old Testament, we realize why these things are happening. And it's happening because we're disobedient. We haven't been faithful to God and God's warned us when we turned away from him and his word that he was going to bring other people in and they were going to conquer us. And so you know what the problem is with our culture and with our society and our way of life is we're not following the law. We're not obeying God like we should. And so they get super serious about obeying the law. They get super serious about, so serious about obeying the law that they create laws around the law. I, I don't know about you, but maybe that sounds similar in some ways to our culture. Maybe it's what you see now, that what's wrong with America is we've stepped so far away from God, and, and, and man, you think that what's the answer is is we need to come back to God and His Word, and that's true. But I think at the same time, that must cause us, in light of Matthew 23, to slow down and see the danger. The danger in merely being religious. The danger in being outwardly, appearing one way and inwardly something else. I think today Matthew 23 says to us that religion masks and it traps us. Jesus exposes and frees us. Religion? it's a mask and it can trap you and it feel like no way out but jesus he exposes and exposure is hard to come out of darkness and into the light right how fitting but in that light in that exposure jesus says there's actually freedom so today we're going to walk through this text of Matthew chapter 23. Uh, we're going to kind of be doing like the helicopter view over the text, right? So we may not land in on every moment of every verse. Here's a lot here, but I want to kind of give you a big picture of what it was like as Jesus dealt with these religious leaders, right? You, you may have heard the motto, fake it till you what? Make it, right? Jesus says, don't fake it till you make it. Jesus says, Don't do it. And listen to his example. Turn me again. Here, Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not what, church? Practice, right? You ever had your granny, your mama, somebody tell you, say, practice what you what? Preach. preach. You heard it, right? That, that granny was right, or whoever was telling you they're right, right? they were, Echoing Jesus' words, look what else he says, verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Jesus in his grace is going to be absolutely honest. And the good news is that's actually good for us. We need some honesty. We need to hear clarity here. Our sinful tendency, as we can see in this text, is, right, I mean, because, look, they, they preach, but they don't practice they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Right? I mean, that's hard. Jesus says, listen, they say one thing and yet do another. Right? I mean, we all have that sin, sinful tendency to like we do the right things with the wrong motives because we want to be seen by others. We don't be perceived as being religious, as being good people. It's it's a challenge that we all face. And guess what? It's not just like for 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 some folks, it's for everybody. I mean, recently we've been reminded of how this can hit People in like maybe untouchable places, we think. I mean, with like the recent revelations over the last several months of like great pastors and evangelists like Robbie Zacharias. And it comes out about different ways of life, things happening in the background, the shadows. And it's shocking. And that reminds us, guys, the truth of Jesus here in 30 A.D. is just as true in 2000 A.D. I think Jesus wants here to save us from thinking that our external performance is what makes us acceptable before God. It's not. He reminds us the danger of living for that public applause instead of embracing the eternal glory. Jesus is telling you and I, listen, be on guard. There's a warning here, the danger of preaching or teaching one thing, of amen in the Bible, but not living it. Jesus is concerned, you and I, guys, listen, not merely with outward appearances. As I was reminded this week in 1 Kings in my reading with Solomon, Jesus, or Solomon there, the Lord speaking to him said, I am looking at the heart. God's looking at the heart, guys. He sees us. And so the truth is, as we begin this text this morning, I want to encourage all of us just to say, Lord, would you just search me? Would you just expose the things in my heart that I'm hiding behind? The appearances I have. Jesus, listen, he goes on further to them, giving them warning, saying in verse 9, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Now Jesus, again, he talks about not calling rabbis or teachers or instructor or father. Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't call anybody dad on earth, or you can't call someone teacher or doctor, right, or whatever their title may be. But Jesus is warning about those who say, you know what? I'm the preacher in the pulpit and you're just the people in the pew. He's warning against that type of mentality. It says, I'm on stage and you're not, so that makes me better than you. That's the mentality Jesus is after here. And so they wanted the titles of father or instructor. They wanted to be called rabbi because that made them powerful. It got after what their hearts wanted, to be known and recognized And so Jesus, again, leaves this echoing moment before he's going to jump into these seven woes to them. And he says in verse 11, the greatest among you shall be what? Your servant. Isn't that interesting to consider? Who in this room God sees and knows the heart of and considers as the greatest? And my guess is most of us would not recognize that person as the greatest. He says the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I'm reminded of moments when I would stand at the back door even years ago. And people would say, man, that was such a powerful message. And I thought, man, thank you for that. I'm I'm, I'm humbled how God would use me. But I want to let you know that there's people in the background that you never see. There's people like Celsey Stewart and Forrest Kelly and Ray and Marion Acree. They're gathering on a Thursday morning in here. And man, you if you would hear them pray for you, if you would hear them call you by name and call out to God to do a work in this church, you wouldn't see and know that there is great power behind this pulpit. It is people in the pew just like you laboring and warring in prayer. And so Jesus speaks here and he says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. But the warning comes for those who puff themselves up. He says, I want you to know that whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And Jesus now is going to speak seven woes, humbling them. We're going to take it maybe in groups of three, but the word woe is a word of warning. Right? I mean, think about it. It's an indication of danger. I, Not all signs on the road are equal, right? And so as you drive down the road, some may remind you that the speed zone change ahead. That's super important and you should follow it. But there's a much more serious sign when you see a warning about bridge out ahead, right? I mean, there's warnings of dire consequences if you proceed. These words of woe, as you hear Jesus pronouncing them, they're words of warning and judgment. It's interesting that Jesus gives us seven woes. The number seven in the Bible is actually the number for completion. And so Jesus in speaking these seven woes is giving us a big picture of what it looks like to be outwardly religious, but inwardly dead. And so Jesus begins to relay these to us. And again, we're going to deal with them kind of more a little fast paced approach, but we're going to deal with them in groups of three. And the first one I think comes to us is this trying to be good enough actually blocks the way into the kingdom. These people are trying to be good enough. Remember, their background, right? I mean, they've got in trouble. The Romans are here now because they've not followed the law well enough. And so they're like, man, we've got to follow the law better. We've got to be better. We've got to do more, 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 more. But Jesus says that mentality and that approach actually blocks the way into the kingdom. Look what he says here in his first woe, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites. A hypocrite was an actor, right? Someone who put a mask on in a play and pretended to be someone else. He says this is what they're doing. But it's not in a play. You're doing it before God and before people. It's your spiritual life. You're pretending to be something you're not. But again, our first woe is given. Listen to what he says. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor you allow those who would enter to go in. This is hard. Why? Because these are the religious leaders, guys. It is their job to show people the way into the kingdom. It is their job to teach and be able to say, thus saith the Lord. Here's what God's word says. It is their job to point people unto God and ultimately to Christ. But the truth is they weren't. Why? Because they were giving a people a law that they themselves couldn't keep. But they were saying that's the way that God will accept you by being good enough. And back in verse 4, Jesus called this teaching, this laying the law on people, a heavy burden. No wonder he said to us in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Beloved, you, as we studied on Wednesday night, could never obey the law perfectly enough. The law is there to compel you and I to look to Christ. But these religious leaders, listen, they were giving people, telling them to be good enough and obey the law better. And that's how God will accept them. That's how everything will get better. Right. I mean, listen, that doesn't work. I mean, consider this in your life. Did prior to coming to Christ, like were you good enough on your own? No, right? I mean, like, that's, that's the why you came. In fact, even now, I mean, if you're here and you think that somehow God's now going to accept you because you've been such a good person after all these years, you're still missing it. Guys, that's why, again, I go back to it so often, but I love the words of amazing grace. It just keeps ringing in my soul. When we've been there, what? 10,000 years. We'll still be singing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Why? Because 10,000 years, amazing grace will be even more beautiful. We'll never get past our desperate need of grace. So guys, this morning, our coming to Christ is in itself a declaration that I am not good enough. And I acknowledge it, and I confess it publicly. I am in need of a Savior. Jesus warns here about shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces By compelling them to try to be good enough, it'll never satisfy. It'll never bring the rest that only Jesus can. He gives a second woe in this section here about the warning of blocking the kingdom. Look what he says, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. That's a word for convert, right? A follower. And when he becomes a follower, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Now, Jesus here is not condemning missionary efforts, right? He's not compelling us to go, right? I mean, you saw that very thing as Brother Todd was, in a way, commissioning us, sending us out, reminding us of why we are going, because of biblical text, just like Matthew 28, to go and make disciples, right? But Jesus is warning against the danger of going to make people who are converts or followers who are trying to be good enough by the law. That's what they were doing. Right? I mean, the fact is, guess what? This doesn't settle it. Why? Because if you walk through the New Testament, you find places where the church is struggling with this very truth. In fact, one of the leaders of the church, Peter, in Galatians 2, gets it wrong, right? And he steps away from the Gentiles and won't eat with them because he knows the Jewish people are looking down their nose at him and he doesn't want to be associated with them. And then we see in places like Acts 15, if you were with Sunday school class a few weeks ago, you may have studied that very wrestling of that tension the question was, what does make us acceptable for God? And some were saying, well, it's Jesus plus the law. That equals salvation. That's what God will accept. And the church has come back for 2,000 years saying, no, the answer is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It is by faith alone, through Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Amen? It is the only way to be saved. Now, listen, Jesus here, I mean, he's... he's he's. This, the, his words are stinging look what he says he says you cross you go across sea and land to make a single convert and when he becomes one you make him twice the son of hell as you are i don't know about you but that kind of language in my house would have got my mouth washed out with soap right now some of you kiddos are going to take that next time you get in trouble with your parents you're like well remember what jesus said and your parents are going to say but yeah you're not jesus what's Jesus' point here though Jesus saying, he's warning that if you live your life trying to be outwardly religious but inwardly dead, there is no hope. The only thing that is to come is to enter the gates of hell. But notice he says to them, you become twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Guys, the truth is, when obeying rules becomes a standard, then the people that follow you realize that you haven't followed them well enough either. And so they're like, we'll follow them better than them. And then the people that follow them are like, we'll follow them better than you. And so it just becomes this more and more religious heart hard-heartedness. I think the reminder of words like when Big Daddy Weave says to us, stop fighting the fight that has already been what? Won. Stop fighting it. Stop trying to earn your acceptance before God by your obedience to the law. You'll never be good enough. You'll never provide rest. And Jesus says that you will make converts who will be twice the children of hell that you are. They'll be even more convinced that they are on the right path. Guys, the truth is God only accepts perfect people and none of us are. Therefore, let it compel us to look to Christ. As a church, may this truth remind us that we are not trying to develop moral proselytes. Our goal is not just to get people who are religious, who know how to follow the rules and do all the checklists and they're good. No, listen, as we teach classes, as we preach the word, as we disciple in our homes, we are all constantly praying by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are aiming for the heart. And only God can change the heart. I don't have the power The Sunday school teacher doesn't have the power. Moms and dads, we don't have the power. Grandparents, we don't have the power. Children and youth workers, when we bring them in, we don't have the power. But God alone has the power to change the heart. And the Lord is willing. How willing? So willing that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son for you. That if you would repent upon and believe upon the Son, you should not what, church? Perish, but have what, church? everlasting life that's the gospel we proclaim christ alone look to him we constantly look to these scriptures and say but it points to christ look to him in his beauty and his glory and his fullness so jesus warns them religion it's a mask and it traps you jesus exposes as he's doing here but his exposure is to free us guys so jesus warns first to them that big picture of guess what i mean When you're outwardly religious, it blocks the way for others into the kingdom. Now he says to them, I think the second truth, don't let your holiness be only outward. Right? I mean, he's going to enter this section about our holiness being only outward here. Verses 16 to 28. Look what he starts with. Verse 16. We hear our third woe. Woe to you, blind gods. Isn't that interesting? The most religious people on the day, the religious teachers and leaders, he calls them blind guys. They don't see clearly. If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. This is a challenging text. All right. But the picture is of religious leaders who have made life all about rules and oaths that were binding and others that were not. What was their point? Well, their point was to find ways to lie and get out of things, right? I mean, so you could say, well, this is binding because you said this here and it had this connection to the gift on the altar. But if you weren't connected there to the temple, then guess what? Your oath over here, it doesn't mean as much. And what Jesus says, he sets the record straight. He says to us that all oaths are in some way related to God and therefore they are binding. Or in other words, Jesus says that all of our oath-taking ultimately is in the presence of God. Whether you're in the temple or you swear in the church, Right. And Jesus reminds us about that, about swearing. Right. Our yes is to be yes our no is to be no. But he's reminding us, listen, if you live religious, you think you could do certain stuff inside the church on Sunday and go live completely different out there on Monday. He says that's what it means to be religious. And that's what these guys have become perfect at. They become perfect at knowing the lingo of the church and how to do things right in here. But out there, they're totally different. And the out there for them is just like the out there for you and I. It's our hearts, guys. It's a challenging statement, right? Jesus here and some other truths. But I want to point you to the next woe. Look what he says in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe, mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind gods, straining out a gnat and swallowing what? A camel. Now, let's, listen to this. Let's just wrestle this for a moment. So Jesus says he points them to the tithe, right? And he says, you tithe the mint, the dill, and the cumin, right? These are the smallest of the garden vegetables they have, right? And so Jesus says, guess what? You guys are tithing on the very smallest of your crops, the things that maybe nobody else would see, nobody else seems to know about. It seems small and insignificant. So Jesus here, guys, listen, he is affirming that we are to give, and those people are to give, and we are to give, right? Why why do they give? Well, they gave because they had priests and Levites who had no land inherited when God gave the allotments of the lands to the different tribes. The priests and Levites, they didn't give an allotment of land, so therefore they had no place to grow food, and they depended upon the people bringing in food to help provide the food they needed as they served the people. In a similar way, right, God has designed the church and and leadership in the church to be supported by the people. And he affirms, look what he says, these you ought to have done. So Jesus affirms our giving, right? He says that's what we should do, it's expected. Now, it's interesting, and there's some disagreement on it, right? The 10th is a number that's given and throughout the Old Testament, and and that's a great benchmark. But I want to encourage you, as we look at the New Testament, I think the New Testament compels spirit-led giving, Spirit-led giving that says that God sees our heart and He loves a cheerful giver. Not reluctantly or not because I have to, because we want to. right? As we give, it is an opportunity for us to express worship to God and also a reminder to our souls week after week, I'm not the owner, I'm merely a tenant. And everything I have ultimately is from the Lord. And so I want to give as an expression of my worship and surrender to Him. But here's the issue for these guys. They've got the giving down. But look what Jesus says to them. But they've neglected the weightier matters of the law. And he cites, we might hear the words of Micah 6.8, right? What's required of you? To do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's the very words Jesus echoes here. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Right? Right? He says, guys, you're doing the outward things, but I want you to know that God's ultimately his greatest concern for you and I is to love our neighbor, what? As ourself. That's what he's after, the heart. Might it be said of us that we're faithful to give our money to church each week, but man, we struggle at times to support and to advocate for justice for minorities or for the unborn or to be a voice for an immigrant, to show mercy to others, to be faithful in all of our dealings. Jesus says to them, he says, listen, guys, he calls them Notice again, what he calls them here. He calls them hypocrites. Why? I think because they've taken the small things like they're giving and made it the big thing. And Jesus says the big things like love and justice and mercy. You've made those look like the small things. Why? Because we can it's so easy to do the bigger things to show love and justice and mercy. That is mercy. I mean, that's hard. It's hard to forgive people. It's hard to reconcile. It's hard to be a voice, especially in our culture, to stand on God's word and defend. Man, that's challenging. But Jesus warns here that religious people often just do what is outward while neglecting the more important matters of the heart. I don't know about you, but man, this text this week has just been convicting to me. It's been hard to hear just some of these things that Jesus is saying because I, I, it lands on my life it's easy just to plug in and give our money each week but man just when i think about times that i need to advocate more for justice or mercy or to speak up on something maybe even from the pulpit or in culture i'm always worried who might i offend or who will i take off or it's hard but jesus says he's the way your matters guys as followers of christ his followers that's what we're called to do jesus finishes with two more woes in this section He says to them, verse 25 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. The Pharisees were all about ritual purity, right? And so they would meticulously wash things, right? You hear Jesus at different times. He and his disciples are getting in trouble because they haven't washed their hands like they were expected to. Everything was washed to keep it clean. Why? Because they wanted to be able to participate in worship and sacrifices. It reminds me of this one night I was at college and, had a buddy in the dorm. He was, he had his sack of clothes and and man, we had, we had been doing a lot of playing sports, different things. So I knew his, his bag of clothes was nasty, like my bag of clothes. And, and he walks out this garbage sack of all his stuff. He's like, Jesse, I'm gonna go down and and take it to the laundry and and clean it. And I'll be back. And it's like, great, man. So a couple hours later, I'm out in the hallway and I see him coming back and he's got that same garbage sack and it's clothes. And I was like, dude, I thought you were going to wash them. And he's like, well, I did. And I was like, and you thought it'd be a good idea to put them back in the same sack. I think it's a reminder of what we can do when it comes time to worship. We can come to church and we can sing our songs and sit in our Sunday school classes. We can give our money. We can do all the different things to check the list. Listen to the sermon. But go home completely the same. Guys. We don't come to church to polish our cups. We come with dirty hearts crying out, Jesus, Hosanna, clean me. Because I can. Guys, God calls for us to worship Him in spirit and truth and none of us in this place is sufficient. That's why we're... We're not here to show off how clean the outside of our cups are. We are humble, broken people who know this truth, that there is one who can wash our inside of our cups, and that's our hearts, and it's by His blood that He sacrificed and gave His life for us. It's the the work of Christ that is our redemption. It's the work of Christ that is our worthiness. So as we come into this place, let us just take off these masks. Let us just be willing to be undone in the presence of the Lord. Might we just acknowledge in this place that we are all guilty of washing the outside of cups and cry out, Christ, transform me. Holy Spirit, transform me. It's the good news of the gospel. Jesus exposes us. Why? So the guys that not we could stay in the darkness, but that we could come into the light. The fourth and last woe in this section again deals with this outward Only holiness. Jesus says to them in verse 27 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So the reason why they would whitewash the tombs was is because if you came in contact with them, you became unclean for seven days. And so the tombs would be like just white, man. Like as clean as like Tim Judd's vehicle. I know not to pull in next to Tim's vehicle in the parking lot because it's going to show how dirty mine is, right? Like, man, right? But listen, listen, these guys... In this culture, that the tombs were glamour they're sparkling white. So you knew that you wouldn't accidentally touch one or step over one and become unclean. And Jesus says, guess what? Your outward holiness is just like that tomb. It appears one way, but on the inside you are spiritually dead. Jesus warns about outwardly trying to cover up what's actually going on inwardly. And I think the truth is, the reason why we do it, I don't know about for you, but for me, when I think about it, it's because outward holiness is easier than inward holiness. It's easier to say, I went to church today, check. I read my Bible today, check. I served the church, check. Right? I think the inward, so outward holiness, it's about what we do, isn't it? But inward holiness, it's about why we do it. See, I think that's that's what Jesus is wrestling with. outward holiness is about what we do. It appears one way, but Jesus wrestling with what's on the inside, the why behind what we're doing. Right? And it stings. This text stings. I hope and pray it stings you today. It's stinging me all week. I'm just like, ooh, even this morning. I was like, man, Lord, have mercy on my soul. I think it's a good thing that our souls are are being stung. Why? When we see our sin, why? Because we might know the truth of Luke chapter 7, that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Isn't that great news? That instead of our sin and our shame and our outward acting leading us away from the cross, Jesus says, let it compel you toward me. Let this, let your hypocrisy, don't let it just leave you locked in shame walking away. Let it just let you come and fall before me saying, God, you see me. You see me, Lord. Lord. Have you, have you just had those moments of being open and honest with the Lord? Guys, He sees what's below the ground. He sees into the grave itself. He knows the truth of your and my heart. So Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees. And He comes to this final and last woe. And I think it reminds us this, that false religion always conceals a hard heart. False religion always conceals a hard heart. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is the seventh and last woe. For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in those days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of the prophets who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah the son of Baraka, whom you murder between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. The Pharisees are those who have rejected people just like John the Baptist And what's worse, right, they thought, hey, listen, if we would have lived in that day, we would not have killed the prophets. He's like, well, you've just killed John. And the truth is, again, remember this is about Tuesday. On Friday, you're about not just to kill merely a prophet. You're going to kill God himself. They think they're, I think one of the things that has to, to be in their mind, I feel like maybe in mine as I read this, is that you would think that their religious practices would make them the most ready for the Messiah. Like, surely if anybody was going to be ready for God to come in the flesh, it was these guys. But instead, their religious practices have lulled them to sleep. And I think, guys, we need to ask the same question. If anybody's going to be ready for Jesus' second coming, surely it would be us. But might we have need to ask this morning, have our religious outward practices lulled us to sleep, to forget what God is most concerned about? And that is our hearts. He's most concerned about our hearts. Did you hear what Jesus called them? Look what He says to them, verse thirty-three: "You serpents." He calls them a brood of vipers. Right? The serpent echoes back to Genesis chapter three and the first serpent, Satan himself. Right? When he comes on the scene, and then he tempts Adam and Eve to think that there's another way. Right? That you can't find satisfaction. God keeps from you the real joy in life. But if you could eat from this tree, then you would be like God, knowing good and evil. Then your life would be complete. Then it would be fulfilled. Jesus says, you guys are doing the very same thing. You're enticing people that this is truly the way to freedom. But actually, it's the way to bondage and the way to hell. You see, the only way to be free is not by being good enough. It's by realizing that he alone was good enough. It's the hope of the gospel. Jesus warns. Look, what he says, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Wow. It's hard to hear. I mean, Jesus is stepping on, talk about stepping on toes. Right. But again, I hope that as we study this, you realize, man, I could see how Fridays come. If this is all the things that are unfolding, I could see how their intensity and hatred of him was revving up. But this reminds me of a story I heard recently. It was back in the early 1900s out west and it was a logging, lumbering community and they they had built a church and they invited in and said, we need a pastor. And so they called this young man and, and he comes as their pastor and things are going well. And out that week he goes out to visit and and he sees that what the people are doing. You see, in that day and time you would cut logs and, and you would brand the end of the log with your signature, right? To, to, and then you would put it in the river and it would float down the mill. They would take it out and they would know who to credit that log to. But what he saw was people of his church doing As logs came from up river. They would pull the log out of the water. They would cut the end off of it and put their own brand on it. So that Sunday he went in and preached the golden rule. Love your neighbor. What as yourself at the back door? They're like preacher. That's one of the best sermons we've ever heard. Thank you for being here. And he's like, man, this is beautiful. And then he went out that week and what he saw was his church members grabbing logs from upstream and cutting the ends off and putting their ends on it and putting it back down the river. And so that week he went in and preached a sermon saying, thou shall not steal at the back door again. They're like, man, this is, this is why we called you here. This is why we wanted you as our pastor. And so that week he thinks surely they've got it. He goes out again and what he finds is his members pulling the logs out of the water, cutting the ends off and putting their own brand on it and sending it back down the river to the mill. Broken hearted, he walks in and preaches a sermon that week titled, thou shall not cut the end off thy neighbor's logs. And it says they hated him for it and they ran him out of town. The truth is none of us want to hear about our own sin. We don't like it. It's not comfortable. We don't like hearing the hard truth. I think it's a reminder because our hearts have become hardened toward God and toward others. And God's this text is convicting Because the truth is, so often with our own sin, we don't see it. Guess what? These are the most religious people on the face of the earth, and they don't see it. That's what's that's what's so terrifying, is they don't see it. They don't recognize it's them, right? These guys think they're at the front of the line. Jesus drops the bombshell to say, they're not even in the line at all. If you're in the line following these guys, they're marching toward hell. Don't follow them. You can never be good enough. Let the law show you your need of me. Look to me. Let me be your fulfillment. Let me be your righteousness before God because you cannot stand as you are. And so I think that's what's so beautiful about how this text ends. I love how Matthew 23 ends. This is why I wanted to maybe, I know it's a lot to wrestle with, man. It's like, it's like taking a party sub and trying to eat it all yourself. It's just too much. But man, I wanted you to feel the weight of all of this and think, Dude, there's no hope. And then I wanted you to hear this. This is how I want you to launch your week. Man, listen to this beauty, this truth right here. Despite our hypocrisy, Christ still pursues us. Hear that today. Despite our pretending and outward only actions at times, Christ still pursues us. Listen to this beautiful statement. Oh, Jerusalem, verse 37 of Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Did you hear Jesus' heart in that moment? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I know you've stoned prophets and you've rejected God. I know there's all this hypocrisy. But listen to this hope. How long I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Did you hear God's heart revealed in that? God's heart to you and I is despite all of our sin and our rebellion is that He still loves us and pursues us. Is that not the greatest news ever? This is a God who is willing. I mean, He doesn't cross His arms. He doesn't throw in the towel and say, forget those people. He is willing, longing. Look at that. I mean, listen, I just love that moment. How often would I have gathered your children together? He longed to do it. I mean, might we hear this morning, not, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, but, oh, Greensburg! Greensburg! how I've longed to gather you to me. The question is, are we willing? Because the answer back for them was they were not willing. He longs to free us, guys, from the burden of the law, not by providing another set of rules to keep, but by providing His perfect righteousness for you. To those of you today who are exhausted by trying to be good enough outwardly, I would compel you To take off the mask. Lay down your burdens. And look unto Christ. Seeing his righteousness. Seeing his heart for you. That he longs to bring you to him. Hearing the truth. That God is patient. Not wanting you to perish. But you to come to repentance. This is God's long-suffering. This is His great grace. This is the God of mercy. This is a God who is not tight-fisted with His forgiveness, but open-handed, saying, Whosoever will may come! What an invitation! What mercy and grace to the church today. I think this text reminds us that God saved us not only from something, but also for something. And the temptation, I think, is, is that these religious leaders knew that God had saved them from something. It was not to be like the culture had been. It was not to be like people had been. And so, man, they, they were they were pushing things away and they were looking only to God and His Word to the best of their ability. And, guys, that is absolutely right. We are called to be separated from the darkness. We are called to be light, a city on a hill. But I think in the midst of that, the Pharisees, while they knew that God had saved them from something, I think they had maybe forgotten that God also had saved them for something. And guys, God has saved us for that we might go out and tell prostitutes and tax collectors and whosoever will, if you will repent and believe, our God will forgive you. No matter how long you've been enslaved to that sin or that addiction or that private thing that nobody else knows about, no matter how long you've been the church keeping up this outward performance, There's a God who sees your heart and He loves you and desires that you would come and know Him. Guys, I want to compel us today that instead of simply just withdrawing from the culture, I think we need to see Jesus' heart and say, Oh, Greensburg, Greensburg, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Nations and nations, we come in the name of our King saying that if you will repent and believe, you can be forgiven. What a hope of the gospel This compels us not to run from the culture, but to it, taking this gospel with us, because that is the only thing that will save them. Are you ready? Are you prepared to go this week? I hope and pray you are. Oklahoma team, let's go in the power of the Holy Spirit, not trying to get people to come outwardly like us, but to constantly point them to our Savior Jesus, that they would become more and more like Him. Oh, I pray that we are ready. I pray that we are excited and ready to go and share the gospel wherever we may go this week. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, our King, I pray that you would accomplish what you have decreed and desire to accomplish. And Lord, I pray it is a transformation of hearts just like mine who can be so guilty of the checking of boxes, Lord. Please, Lord, today, flay flay open our hearts. And God, I pray this text that may have stuck on our toes and stung, I pray instead of causing us to withdraw, it will cause us just to come running because you still pursue us, Lord. Thank you, God. I love you, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.